Chapter Twenty Three of Ravensdene Court by J. S. Fletcher. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Fourth Chinaman. As we stood there watching, the long line of yellow light on the eastern horizon suddenly changed in color, first to a roseate flush, then to a warm crimson. The scenes around us, sky, sea, and land, brightened as if by magic and with equal suddenness there shot round the edge of the southern extremity of the cove outlining itself against the red sky in the distance the long low-lying hulk of a vessel a dark sinister-looking thing which i recognized at once as a torpedo destroyer it was coming along about half a mile outside the bar at a rare turn of speed which would i knew quickly carry it beyond our field of vision and i was wondering whether from its decks the inside of the cove and the yawl lying at anchor there was visible when it suddenly slackened in its headlong career went about seaward and describing the greater part of a circle came slowly in towards the bar nosing about there beyond the line of white surf for all the world like a terrier at the lip of some rat-hole up to that moment miss raven and i had kept silence watching this unexpected arrival in our solitude now turning to look at her i saw that the thought which had come into my mind had also occurred to hers do you think that ship is looking for the yawl she asked it's a gunboat or something of that sort isn't it torpedo destroyer latest class too i answered rakish wicked-looking things aren't they and that's just what i too was wondering it's possible some news of the yawl may have got to the ears of the authorities and this thing may have been sent from the nearest base to take a look along the coast perhaps they've spotted the yawl but they can't get over that bar yet the tide's rising fast though she remarked pointing to the shore immediately before us it'll be up to this boat soon i saw that she was right and that presently the boat would be floating we made it fast and retreated further up the beach amongst the overhanging trees and there from beneath the shelter of a group of dwarf oaks looked seaward again the destroyer lay supine outside the bar watching suddenly right behind her far across the grey sea the sun shot up above the horizon her long dark hull cut across his ruddy face and we were then able to make out shapes that moved here and there on her deck there were live men there but on the yawl we saw no sign of life yet even as we looked life sprang up there again once more a shot rang out followed by two others in sharp succession and as we stared in that direction wondering what this new affray could be we saw a boat shoot out from beneath the bows with a low crouching figure in it which was evidently making frantic efforts to get away somebody on board the yawl was just as eager to prevent this escape three or four shots sounded following one of them the figure in the boat fell forward with a sickening suddenness got him i said involuntarily poor devil whoever he is no exclaimed miss raven see he's up again the figure was struggling to an erect position even at that distance we could make out the effort but the light of the newly risen sun was so dazzling and confusing that we could not tell if the figure was that of an Englishman or a Chinaman. 
It was, at any rate, the figure of a tall man, and whoever he was, he managed to rise to his feet and to lift an arm in the direction of the yawl from which he was then some twenty yards away. Two more shots rang out, one from the yawl, another from the boat. It seemed to me that the man in the boat swayed, but a moment later he was again busy at his oars. No further shot came from the yawl, and the boat drew further and further away from it in the direction of a spit of land some three or four hundred yards from where we stood. There were high rocks at the sea end of that spit. The boat disappeared behind them. "'There's one villain loose, at any rate,' I muttered, not too well pleased to think that he was within reach of ourselves. "'I wonder which. But I'm sure he was winged. He fell in a heap, didn't he, at one of those shots? Of course he'll take to the woods, and we've got to get through them.' "'Not yet,' said Miss Raven. "'Look here.' She pointed across the cove and beyond the bar, and I saw then that a boat had been put off from the destroyer, and was being pulled at a rapid rate towards the line of surf, which under the deepening tide was now but a thin streak of white. It seemed to me that I could see the glint of arms above the flash of the oars. Anyway, there was a boat's crew of blue jackets there. "'They're going to board her,' I exclaimed. "'I wonder what they'll find.' "'Dead men,' answered Miss Raven quietly. What else? After all that shooting, I should think that man who's just got away was the last. There was a man left on board who fired at him, and at whom he fired back, I pointed. Yes, and who never fired again, she retorted. They must all... Oh! She interrupted herself with a sharp exclamation, and turning back from watching the blue jackets in their boat, I saw that she was staring at the yawl. From its forecastle, a black column of smoke suddenly shot up, followed by a great lick of flame. "'Good heavens!' I exclaimed. "'The yawl's on fire!' I guessed then at what had probably happened. The man who had just disappeared with his boat behind the spit of land further along the cove had in all likelihood been one of the two survivors of the fight which had taken place in the early hours of the morning. He had wished to get away by himself, had set fire to the yawl, and sneaked away in the only boat, exchanging shots with the man left behind, and probably killing him with the last one. And now there was smoke and flame above what was doubtless a shambles. But by that time the boat's crew from the destroyer had crossed the bar and entered the cove, and the vigorously impelled oars were flashing fast in the sheltered waters. The boat disappeared behind the drifting smoke that poured out of the yawl. Presently we saw figures hurrying hither and thither about her deck. "'They may be in time to get the fire under,' I said. "'Better, perhaps, if they let the whole thing burn itself out. It would burn up a lot of villainy.' "'Here are people coming along the beach,' remarked Miss Raven suddenly. "'Look, they must have seen the smoke rising.' I turned in the direction in which she was looking and saw on the strip of land and pebble beneath the woods a group of figures standing at that moment and staring in the direction of the burning ship which had evidently just rounded the extreme point of the cove at its southern confines. There were several figures in the group, and two were mounted. Presently these moved forward in our direction at a smart pace. Before they had gone far I recognized the riders. 
a search party i exclaimed look that's mr raven in front and surely that's lorrimore behind him they're looking for us she gazed at the approaching figures for a moment shielding her eyes from the already strong glare of the mounting sun then ran forward along the shingle to meet them i followed as rapidly as my improvised footwear would permit by the time i reached them mr raven and lorrimore were off their horses the other members of the party had come up and my companion in tribulation was explaining the situation i let her talk she was summing it all up in more concise fashion than i could have done her uncle listened with simple open-mouthed astonishment lorrimore when it came to mention of the chinese element with an obvious growing concern that seemed to be not far away from suspicion he turned to me as miss raven finished how many chinese do you reckon were on board he asked four including the last arrival described as a gentleman i answered and two english he inquired one englishman and one frenchman said i my belief is that the chinese have settled the other two and then possibly settled themselves among them there's one man somewhere in these woods whether he's a chinaman we can't say we couldn't make out he stared at me wonderingly for a moment then turned and looked at the yawl evidently the blue jackets had succeeded in checking the fire the flame had died down and the smoke now only hung about in wreaths we could see figures running actively about the deck there may be men on there that need medical assistance said lorrimore where's this boat you mentioned middlebrook i'm going off to that vessel two of you men pull me across there i'll go with you said i i left my boots in the cabin i may find them and a good deal else the boat's just along here the search party was a mixed lot a couple of local policemen some gamekeepers two or three fishermen one of mr raven's men-servants two of the fishermen ran the boat into the water lorrimore and i sprang in this is the most extraordinary affair i ever heard of he said as he sat down at my side in the stern miss raven says that you actually suspected my man wing to be on board lorrimore said i in ten minutes you'll probably see and learn things that you'd never have dreamed of whether your man wing is on board or not i don't know but i know that that girl and i have had a marvellous escape from a nest of human devils i can't say for myself but has my hair whitened your hair hasn't whitened he said you were probably safer than you knew safe enough if wing was there well i don't know i retorted in future let me avoid the sight of yellow cheeks and slit eyes i've had enough but tell me how did you and your posse come this way didn't mr raven get a wire last night mr raven did get a wire he replied but before he got it he'd become anxious and had sent out some of his men-folk along the moors and cliffs in search of you one of them very late in the evening came across a man who had been cutting wood somewhere hereabouts and had seen you and miss raven passing through the woods near the shore in company with two strangers mr raven's man returned close on midnight with this news and the old gentleman was of course thrown into a great state of alarm he roused the whole community round ravensdean court got me up and we set out as you see but the whole thing's marvellous i can't help thinking that wing may have been on board this vessel 
and that it was due to him you got away. You've heard nothing of him from London, I suggested. Nothing from anywhere, he replied, which is precisely why I feel sure that when he went there he came in contact with these people and has been playing some deep game. Deep, yes, said I, deep indeed. But what game? He made no answer. We were now close to the yawl, and he was staring expectantly at the figures on her deck. Suddenly two of these detached themselves from the rest, turned, came to the side, looked down on us. One was a grimy-faced, alert-looking young naval officer, very much alive to his job. The other, not quite so smoke-blackened, but eminently business-like, was Scarterfield. "'Good heavens!' I muttered. "'So he's here!' Scarterfield, as we pulled up to the side of the yawl, was evidently telling the young officer who we were. He turned from him to us as we prepared to clamber aboard, and addressed us without ceremony, as if we had been parted from him but a few minutes since our last meeting. "'You'd better be prepared for some unpleasant sights, you two, he said. "'This is no place to bring an empty stomach to at this hour of the morning.' and I fancy you've no liking for horrors, Mr. Biddlebrook. I've had plenty of them during this night, Scarterfield, said I. I was a prisoner on board this vessel from yesterday afternoon until soon after midnight, and I've sat on yonder beach listening to a good many things that have gone on since I got away from her. He stared at me in astonishment for a moment. So did his companion, whose sharp eyes running me over, settled their glance on my swathed feet. "'Yes,' I said, staring back at him. "'Just so. I was bundled off in such a hurry that I left my boots behind me. They're in the cabin, and if they aren't burned up, I'll be glad of them.' I was making a move in that direction, for I saw that the fire, now well under control, had been confined to the forepart of the yawl, but Scarterfield stopped me. He was clearly as puzzled as anxious. Middlebrook, he said earnestly, I don't understand it at all. You say you were on this vessel during the night? Then in God's name, who else was on her? Whom did you find here? What men? I left six men on her, I answered. Netherfield Baxter, a Frenchman, a Chinese gentleman, so described, three Chinese as well. The Frenchman and the Chinese gentleman were those fellows we heard of at Hull, Scarterfield, and one, at any rate, of the other three Chinese was Lo Chu Fen, of whom we've also heard. "'And you got into their hands? How?' he asked. "'Kidnapped, Miss Raven and myself, by Baxter and the Frenchman, in those woods, yesterday afternoon,' I answered. "'We came across them by accident, at the place where they just dug up that monastic silver. There it is, man,' I continued, pointing to the chests, which still stood where I had last seen them. You've got it at last. He threw an almost careless glance at the chests, shaking his head. I want something beyond that, he muttered. But you say there were six men altogether? Six? I've enumerated them, I replied. Two Europeans, four Chinese. He turned a quick eye on the naval officer. Then one of them's escaped somehow, he exclaimed. There's only five here, and every man Jack is dead. Where's the other? One did escape, said I. I, too, looked at the lieutenant. 
he got off in a boat just as you and your men were approaching the bar yonder i thought you'd see him no he answered shaking his head we didn't see anybody leave the yawl lay between us and him most likely where did he land behind that spit i replied pointing to the place he vanished from where i stood behind those black rocks that was just as you crossed the bar and he can't have gone far away for he was certainly wounded as he left the yawl a man fired at him from the bows he fired back we heard those shots said the lieutenant and we found a chap englishman in the bows dying when we boarded her he died just afterwards they're all dead the others were dead then not a man alive i exclaimed scarterfield cast a glance astern the glance of a man who draws back the curtain from a set stage look for yourselves he muttered too late for any of your work doctor but that sixth man lorrimore and i giving no heed just then to the detective's questioning about the escaped man went towards the after part of the deck busied with their labours in getting the fire under control the blue jackets had up to then left the dead man where they found them with one exception the man whom they had found in the bows had been carried aft and laid near the entrance to the little deck-house some hand had thrown a sheet over him lorrimore lifted it we looked down baxter that's the fellow we found right forward said the lieutenant he's several slighter wounds on him but he'd been shot through the chest heart perhaps just before we boarded her that would be the shot fired by the man in the boat i suppose a good marksman was this the skipper chief spirit said i he was lively enough last night but the rest they're all over the place he answered they must have had a most desperate do of it the vessel's more like a slaughterhouse than a ship he was right there and i was thankful that miss raven and i for whatever reason on the part of the chinese had been so unceremoniously set ashore before the fight began as lorrimore went about noting its evidence i endeavoured to form some idea more or less accurate of the events which had led up to it it seemed to me that either baxter or the frenchman awaking from sleep sooner than the chinese had expected had discovered that treachery was afoot and that wholesale shooting had begun on all sides most of the slaughter had taken place immediately in front of the hatchway which led to the cabin in which i had seen baxter and his two principal associates some sort of a rough barricade had been hastily set up there behind it the frenchman lay dead with a bullet through his brain before it here and there on the deck lay three of the chinese their leader still in his gaily coloured sleeping suit prominent amongst them lo chu fun a little further away the third man near the wheel face downwards he like chu was a small-made wiry fellow and there was blood everywhere scarterfield jogged my elbow as i stood staring at these unholy sights he was keener of look than i had ever seen him that fourth chinaman he said i must get him dead or alive the rest's nothing i want him End of chapter 23